The question, who is Jesus, has not gone away. Jesus' life, then and now, provokes differing opinions and inspires important conversations, questions and questions and questions. People are still fascinated by Jesus and want to talk honestly about this man from the Middle East who challenged the religious institution of his day as well as the entire Roman Empire. For the last 2,000 years, there has been a heated, almost obsessive conversation about the identity of Jesus. Every Easter, Time or Newsweek runs another cover story where experts are consulted, evidence weighed, and conclusions asserted. There are countless television specials, each with their own angle and agenda. Books and articles, movies and podcasts cannot be counted. We are fascinated by this ancient rabbi from Galilee. The level of intensity surrounding the questions about Jesus is intriguing, but at times confusing. The amount of information and perspectives, all with their own biases and agendas, is dizzying. Who do we trust? What evidence counts? Can we talk honestly about the issues surrounding Jesus' life? What's important to note about all of this is that one person, Jesus, is central to Christianity. It's worth pondering this and stating it again. Christianity is about one person. Christianity is not primarily a way of life, a law, or a philosophy, but is about an individual. It's about an encounter with the man from Galilee. Christianity is about faith or trust in a person. That's why every theological question that we ask, such as what is salvation or what is mercy and piety or what is the church or what is the kingdom of God is secondary to the question, who is Jesus? The heartbeat, the sort of radical center of Christianity is trust in the person of Jesus. Is this radical giving of oneself to, the inner, to an experience with Jesus. It took the church close to 400 years of debate and dialogue to pen the following creed. And I want to read you this creed in its entirety. It's the creed from the Nicene Council and then the Constantinople Council. Um, it, it began to develop from Nicaea, then in, in Constantinople. So this is about 325 of the Common Era to 381. So let me read it for you. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, true God from true God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things came into existence, who for us humans, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost and the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Punctius Pilate and suffered and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of the father. Now this creed, its long history, its questions, its sort of um, embattled and embittered past, 
it still shimmers for us. It still has something to teach us. It's still of striking, resounding beauty. Now we could spend hours and hours and talk about every detail and nuance of this creed, but we don't have time for that on this podcast. The, the type of discussion, the type of questions that this creed provoked teaches us that, that Jesus reveals God, that, that, that Jesus is God's central communication to humanity, that, that Jesus is the message of God to humanity in flesh and blood. With the poem, A Song in the Dark, I wanted to think clearly and write simply about what it means that God became human. I asked the question in the poem itself, what does incarnation mean? Now, this word has a, it's it's big in our mouth, incarnation. It's a technical term in Christian theology that comes from the Latin word carnivore, meaning God took on human flesh. Incarnation focuses on Jesus's humanity, not his divinity. Incarnation describes Jesus and no one else. Gregory of Nazianzus, an early saint, an early church father who spent a ton of time thinking through these issues, said it simply and beautifully. Remaining what he was, he assumed what he was not. And what Gregory of Nazianzus does with this short, simple quote, remaining what he was, he assumed what he was not. What he means by this quote is that the, the divine attributes of God, eternity, impassibility, immortality, these things that, that apply to God and God alone, also God has these human attributes of suffering and mortality, of frailty and vulnerability. So remaining what he was, eternal, impassable, immortal. He assumed what he was not, suffering, mortal, frail, vulnerable. And it's this transformative both and that Christianity affirms and holds onto. God entered human time and space, not only affirming the human life is good, but as the creed states, for the purpose of our salvation. Now this word salvation It has this big loaded history and baggage to it, but it simply means for us a life filled and overflowing with love. So the man from Galilee, the God man became human so that our lives could be filled and overflowing with love. This is why I I wanted to talk about this, what this import of all this meant for for us. And I'm, I'm concerned in our culture about how our images of God actually paralyze us, how the way we think about God can sort of trip us up in our daily living. I've noticed it breaks my heart when my friends and family and people I care about have an image of God that actually paralyzes them, that actually holds them back from their best selves. And sometimes we have this picture of God being like this distant, uh, distant sort of grandfather figure who is like heaping on the guilt and shaming them for everything they've done. And so I wrote in the poem, That incarnation means that God is not against us, where fears are suppressing our dreams. On the contrary, God enters time and space and gives us a glimpse of the real God, 
not the God of our imaginations, not the God of our past or our obsessive mind chatter telling us we're not worthy enough, not even the God of our family and national stories. Everything that we thought about God gets reconsidered with the incarnation. And for that reason, I wrote this. Incarnation teaches us that God struggles with us in our hearts where love is, sharing our dreams. This is what's so pivotal, what's transformative about the incarnation, that God enters time and space so that we can now participate in divine nature. Again, Gregory of Nazianzus, the sort of like super amazing thinker, church father says, whatever is not assumed is not healed. So Jesus, the God-man who takes on human flesh so that we can now participate in God, so that we are now given the gift to share in God's life. Incarnation is this beautiful affirmation of this world, of your body, of your human life, of the here and now, of our coming and going, our blood, sweat, and struggle, our size as a community. Incarnation affirms that all of it, from the beginning of our lives to the end and to beyond, is holy, is sacred. Incarnation affirms that heaven and earth are no longer separate realms. It affirms the sacred and the profane are fused and that life is about the endless process of becoming sons and daughters of God. And that's some beautiful theology. And that's important for our minds to grasp and our lives to live. Now here's the poem. Why did God become human? She asked with sincere uncertainty. Isn't it mysterious? God, sleeping in a manger, nursing from Mary's breast, crying on Joseph's arms. What does incarnation mean? Why did God become human? He asked with forthright skepticism. Doesn't it all seem unbelievable? God, drinking sorrow's poison, crying in pain forsaken, dying on a criminal's cross. Why did God become human? The question whirls in our minds with hyphen curiosity. Divinity swaddled by human flesh. Kingdom come in a baby's breath. Infinite being now finite, frail, contingent. Could this child mean God is not against us in our minds where fears are suppressing our dreams? She peers into the makeshift crib and he sits beside her. Proud tears fall on her brown cheeks and he holds her. They listen to his breathing as life with the child begins. Isn't it astonishing? God fussing in a manger crying from a cross, sharing life with us. Could this child mean God struggles with us in our hearts where love is, sharing our dreams? 
The child is born. Underneath the stars, wise men search, angels appear, and shepherds hear. Underneath the stars, the promise of love transforms all fears. Underneath the stars, the weary, the wounded, the seekers hear. A song fills the air, Gloria in excelsis Deo. I hear salvation's song. She whispers, listen, lean near, and listen to the slow ocean of this child's breathing, calming, calling, drawing near. <laughs> 